Do you know how rare it is to see on a 10-year strategic plan a huge focus on culture and people? It's extremely rare. In the 12 years that I have been in the HR business, I don't know if I've ever seen a plan like that, especially for smaller businesses. But as you can probably guess, our guest today does that. Jim Deary's company, Field Fasteners, have a 10-year plan that has six pillars, and three of them have to do specifically with their people and their culture. And the bottom line is this, when you focus on your people, you get more profitability, which is what Jim and his business partner have done. They bought Field over 30 years ago, and the first 15 years, they didn't really have this focus on people, but then they turned the corner and decided to put the focus around their people and their culture, and they grew significantly to the tune of from around, I think, $8 million a year in revenue to over $100 million. And by the way, a commodity business selling Class C goods. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. Like This is not a business you probably ever thought of before. So if I can reemphasize one thing to all of our listeners, it's this. When you focus on your people you get more profitability. Now I can say it over and over, but let's hear from our guest. Jim Deary, welcome to How I Turned the Corner. Oh, gosh, thank you. I love that that introduction. I'm kind of blushing here. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's really good stuff you've done. So, oh, okay. so tell us about the first 15 years and then what caused you to pivot? What was the influence? Yeah, it's it's uh it's really kind of funny. I was so that my, my brother had this idea to buy this little company and it goes 12 people and, and the revenues were $800,000 oh, in 1990 in a dump in the dumpiest piece of old building. And he, we decided to buy it. I was 29 and it just seemed like a good idea at the time. I wanted to, you know, for a bunch of reasons. So we bought this little company and um, we just kind of just started doing stuff. I, I, I was a sales guy and I, the culture of the organization at the time, and we never thought about culture, but it really was the, it was kind of what our family was like, how we acted as brothers and siblings. That was the nature of this business. So we kind of just did the, try to do the right thing, work hard, be nice, play by the rules, that kind of stuff. So we did that for 15 years and we started to sense there was something unique about the culture, but, but again, never once did we utter the word culture, but it we were seeing some success and things were growing and we were doing some fun stuff, but we started to realize that the, there was something special about the company and the, the organization. And we had to try to start to figure out what it was. So we did, you know, like, so let's have a mission statement and then some core values. We started doing some of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think the, when we really started to sense that there was something unique about the culture. The thing we realized is we had to start looking for people that fit our culture. So the first kind of epiphany was we've got, if people, once we, and we, since we had some core values now, we could kind of now start lining people up to a set of values to see if they align with them. And my brother and I were laughing about this. We were not very good at doing that. We, we would typically talk about like who had the worst hire. Or the number of the worst <laughs> hires because we hired people for all the wrong reasons, right? They had a great resume. They had great experience. They had great skills, but they weren't a culture fit. And that was the first epiphany. We, and we re realized we needed to hire a human resources professional that had the ability to look into the souls of the people that were trying to apply our company and then see, are they a culture fit? And that, that was the really the beginning of the turning point. Cause now 
that was the first filter, right? If you weren't a culture fit, it didn't matter your background, your experience, it didn't matter what your last name was. It doesn't matter anything because if you're not a culture fit, you're, you're just not going to be part of the team. And that was, that was the beginning of now what became a super uh, laser focus on the organization's culture. So getting the right people was the first part of that. Hmm, that's great. And I totally agree with that. And again, so many people, well, and I think I was like that as an entrepreneur too. When I first started, I didn't, I thought mission statement and values, like you see all that on people's walls and don't feel that they're living it. And I just kind of thought people were paying more lip service to it than really living it. But when I finally embraced it in my business, that's when I felt like we had a complete transformation, which luckily I did that very early on. But, um, but it's become the thing that has made everything easier in running a business is just having great people that align with what I need and what I expect as the leader. And so I've heard you talk in the past about really getting clear on not just the values, but on the behaviors. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So the the core values are good, but they still are relatively vague, right? You know, they can mean different things, especially now, you know, we have people in Taiwan and in Mexico. So just even those words don't have the same meaning in different countries. So we uh, created a series of 30 fundamentals, and they were the field fundamentals. So we call them the field fundamentals. So these are the 30 behaviors that basically make up our culture. And it was just a wonderful process. We worked with an organization um, culture-wise to help us define these things. And, and now we have these very specific behaviors that we teach, coach, and train our people on. And we have a series of rituals that reinforce these behaviors on a regular basis. So Every week, we, we would talk about one of our behaviors. Um, and then, at the, so at the beginning of every meeting during that week, there would be some discussion by the leader of that meeting talking about, let's say, integrity. And what does integrity mean? Act with integrity. What does that mean in our company? And then, so there'd be some discussion. Um, and then on Wednesday, they would get a survey electronically on our, our on an app that says, well, here's in this situation, what would you do? Right. So there's a chance to get kind of reinforce what this means. And then so that we do that for a week. And then the next week we would go to think and act like an owner. And then the next week would go to find a way. So we we reinforce these behavior, one behavior a week. And it has proven to be extremely, um, provides extreme clarity because when we can, especially with new team members, like, well, this is what this means. When we talk about thinking and act like an owner, delivering legendary service, we can then share some various specific examples of what that means. And people go, oh, I get that now. And then we have a, a, re, a, a kind of we have a system that tracks like recognition, right? So, Kendra, you did a great job. So we're going to do a we rock for you because you did this great thing for one of our customers. So it's, it's a chance for somebody to recognize what you've done to support a customer. And then they would reference one of these behaviors in this recognition system for you. And then at the end of the month, you might get a hundred bucks or a t-shirt or something like that. So there's, it's, it comes up in your performance review. So there's all kinds of ways to, to take these behaviors and then institutionalize them and make them kind of part of our and who we are as, as, as an organization. It's been incredibly powerful. Yeah. So, so what I said earlier in the intro about driving profitability, 
I mean, can you just talk a little bit more about that? I mean, validate that with me that when you focus on your people, it brings more profit in. Do you, do you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. And I, and there's, there's elements all over the, over the place. I, I'll start with one of the things that was surprising when we went down this journey to kind of really get serious about our culture and develop these behaviors. Um, I never once in this process of that would say, we're going to, we're going to, this is going to help us sell more faster. Never once thought that. And in one of the largest deals, shortly after we did this, a big company that had had, had manufacturing facilities all over Texas and Arkansas and in, in, in Mexico, we were, present, we were going, to, going up against some very large, way, way bigger than us companies. And I gave them a copy of the Field of Metals, and I explained this process to him. And I said, every person in every company and all the six or seven factories that, that we're going to serve you, they're going to, they're going to adhere to these behaviors and we're going to teach and coach them. And that ended up being a big part of getting this deal because we had a method that convinced our, this potential customer that they would get the same service and support in every one of those facilities, regardless of where it was, because we had a systematic way to teach and train and coach our culture. So, it helped us get business, number one. I, I was surprised by that. And now we lead with culture in, in our uh, sales proposals all the time because people recognize that when they're dealing with a company that has really great culture, they're going to probably get really great customer service. They're dealing with empowered, passionate, trained people that are authorized to, to find a way to get stuff done and make things happen. So mm-hmm. it definitely has helped our, our top line. And we know just because of the industry's data that we get are turnover is less, uh, the recruiting costs are less, people stay longer. Uh, we know we're more efficient because we can, we, again, we have the data that we can use to compare our, our profitability to our competitors. So we're definitely, the HR costs are less and we're more efficient and we, we've, it's the, our, our culture helped us grow. So mm-hmm. those are, those are the key elements of our of the profitability in our business. Mm-hmm. And what's also really neat and inspiring about that is once you have more profitability, you can do more things for oh. your people, right? Yeah. It's very hard to do of very fun things, give raises, do all the things you've got yeah. in place if you, of course, don't have the money. And so it feeds itself then too. That was a big part when we, in this journey going from $800,000 a year to where we are now to $130 million, we thought we we thought that the culture as we got bigger, it could get worse. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get too big, and the culture won't be as good. Well, we don't worry about that now because now we're hiring the right folks. But now, as we get bigger, we just have we have more ability to provide new services, right? So, one of the things we just did at the end of last year, and the feedback has been phenomenal. We hired a life coach, hmm. so that now that anybody in the organization, right, because it's all virtual, they can when any of our op, any of our facilities, as long as they speak English can have life coaching. And that was just something a couple of years ago, we, we wanted to do it, but we just really did, couldn't, you know, couldn't squeeze it into the budget. And now as we've gotten bigger, that's a, that's a, a, a benefit that we offer our team members. And it's the feedback around that has been an awesome. So it's, well, it's and, and what a gift to the management team too. I mean, I think about all the conversations I've been in as a manager, they're all things that I feel like I'm not not always positioned to help people address. Right. But if they had a coach 
that was working with them on their work stuff and almost like a therapist, right? Helping them go with specific work things. Like, how do I get promoted and what do I need to do to improve my chances of getting this other job or whatever? I mean, what a relief to the entire management team too, to not have to be in all those conversations, but actually have someone on the side whose job it is to help navigate some of that. That That's really unique, Jim. I've not, I've thought that that should be something that should happen, but I've not heard a company doing that. Well, I'd, I'd love to say it was our idea, but years ago, I went to an industry meeting in Vegas and one of the guys I was traveling with, we went to Zappos because they've got a really very, you know, cool culture. And in this tour, there was these two rooms where they do life coaching and there's these giant chairs, like thrones that people sit in for these life coaching sessions. And like I said to this, Adam, um, who's now our president, like we got to do that someday. And so, you know, it's been years till we felt, we felt we could get to the size. Look, my point is to really to echo what you said, as you get bigger and more profitable, well, now you can direct more resources to creating even better culture. So it isn't just benefits. Now we're, we're doing some other things that kind of really create a culture of innovation because we're working hard on innovation. It's something that we want to be better at, but so we can now spend more time and energy and innovation because it's, it's something that we're committed to. And as we get bigger, we can add allocate more resources to that kind of stuff. So I think if you do it right, your culture can continue to get better. And, it, and it, it ne- you're, it's a journey that just doesn't end. You're never done working on the organization's culture. Mm-hmm. So let's tie this back then to your strategic plan. So you do have these six pillars, right? And three of them devoted to people. Oh yeah, exactly. I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. I wanted to point people to your website to look at that. Can you put it up one more time? Cause I want to highlight something on it. I love the heart in the middle, yeah. improve lives um, with the heart around it. And so many of our peers, you know, CEOs and founders, I mean, you mentioned something like that, and they're going to roll their eyes back into the back of their head, and they might even get stuck, right? Because they think of it being so fluffy. I know there have been CEOs of bigger companies, you know, Ford and others that have focused on things like that. Um, was that part of your influence? Like, what what brought this in and made you so bold, and, and, and yeah. or made this so bold? Well, it started a long time ago when we we had this three paragraph mission statement that had a bunch of blah 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 that nobody <laughs> knew what it was, and we replaced it was with the new mission and current mission statement is to have everyone who interacts with us love us, right? So we've had that that mission statement for probably the probably 15 years now. Um, so that's that's kind of where that came from. But the fun story about this particular uh, 10-year plan was in uh, in 2000, in 2000, no, 2010, sorry, uh, my brother made this bold proclamation that we we're going to, we we're going to go from 20 million in revenue to 100 million. He did this when we at our 20 year anniversary in Las Vegas. We took the whole company in Vegas to celebrate that. So, in this bold proclamation, I said something like, Well, when we get to 100 million, we're going to have a great party in a beach someplace. Well, sure enough, in, in, the, in 10 years later, in 2019, we hit 100 million in revenue for the first time. So, then, so the point is now I had to come up with the next strategic plan. So, Bill did the first one in five minutes. You know, he just said, Well, we're at 20 million and you add 20% a year because that was our growth rate. We got to 100 million. So, now we started to figure out like, what do we want to do going forward? So, this was really interesting because I'd never really developed a strategic plan. So, did a bunch of research, did, had all kinds of meetings with the leadership team, our team leaders, our board, and we did all kinds of stuff and came up with something and just bah, it didn't work. The board said, no, send it back, try it again. So we came back and redid it. And, and that's where the, the, the current 
strategic plan came because what it ultimately proved out to be is like, what do we want to be when we grow up? I mean, what does this company stand for? So Bill and I are, are brothers, business partners, and we decided in this process that we're going to keep this business in the family, right? It would have been a great time to sell it or do it. We're not going to, not. so it started to be like, what do we, what do we, what do we want for the future? What do we work so hard for? And it really became improved lives was that's what we're all about. That, that's, that was the part of the strategic plan that happened first. It's like the, in the end result, the heart is part of our mission statement to love us. And it really does set the tone for everything that we do. And as a part of that, we take every, every year, we put a bigger part of our operating income towards improving lives. So those are to our community, our team members, their families, you know, just kind of is it, it's some of it's charitable stuff. So some of it's just more stuff for our team. But every year we put more money into that. And eventually we'll get to where we put 10% of our operating income towards improving lives. The coolest thing about this plan is how our team has bought into it. And they, especially the younger ones, you alluded to that earlier, they, the amount of, the, the amount of time and effort and energy they put into helping people, people in the community. Just recently, one of the, one of the members of our team or the house had a fire and the number of people that donated stuff and money. And it was incredible, the outpouring of support. And it happens all the time. It's, and it's so fun to see people just embrace this commitment to improving lives. And they, and they do it because that's what they want to do. And they, mm-hmm. they love to be part of an organization that has a soul and a heart and a, and a, and a real purpose. I mean, we, we talk about this, we measure our performance. So it's, for me, it's like a, a proud grandpa, right? I get to sit back and watch the organization take this culture to places we never could have ever dreamed of. I mean, we're doing stuff that we never would have dreamt of 30 years ago. And it's just so fun to see that clarity about what we stand for as a company, when people buy into that, what the, the power behind that is just, it's incredible. Kate. Well, and as we were saying before we started the interview, um, I believe, and I've believed this for many years, that company people are no longer going to tolerate working for a company that doesn't have a soul. And especially this incoming generation um, and my generation, your generation, we all really do want that. But this incoming generation is a very, very yes. aware of it. And I believe we're on the edge of the people revolution where um, the, the people are going to revolt against companies that do not take care of them. And the companies like you and I's, our organizations that, that really focus on culture are going to be the ones that thrive. I, I believe that in my bone of bones. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more, Kendra. And, and the, the, the really good po- folks will stay because they want this and, the, and we'll get better ones to even more to come because they, they're not getting that where they're currently working. Mm-hmm. It, it'll, be, it'll become an increasingly important factor. And I think, it, I think it was to some degree in the great resignation, a lot of people moved and changed jobs because they didn't have, a, they weren't working for an organization that had the right culture. And I think many of them moved to places where the grass really wasn't any greener than they thought it was, but that's beside the point. But I think that what, we've, what we're seeing today is that there's increasing importance of that and for, for people, right? They, mm-hmm. they want to be part of an organization that has a heart and a soul. Mm-hmm. So how many, how many people did you have or what were your revenues when you hired that HR person? Do you remember? Um, we would have been probably under 10 million in revenue, somewhere the eight, eight, nine million in revenue, something like that. And how many, how does that translate into the number of people for you? Oh, oh, that would have been 40, 
ish. Okay. All right. So you did that fairly early then, because we always make the recommendation that you probably don't need a full-time HR person until you're around maybe 80 employees, but you need someone always on the team thinking about the people. And so somebody has to be thinking about it, but there comes a point when you want a dedicated person, like an HR professional to, to be doing that. And so um, so I love that you did it at 40. That's that's pretty unique as well. I think that also really led to your competitive advantage. Just an observation there. Um, I've had that same conversation with, you know, people in, in new businesses like do it before you you really need it more than you really think you do, mm-hmm. right? There's more to it than just administering benefits and stuff like that. To have someone really think about the organization culture and and especially in a, a private, smaller company where now there's another person to really listen to, you know, the HR person and the first eight guy who had a, a, flag, a flag from Sweden in his office, like or the Swiss flag. So it was like, you know, it was it was OK. Everything, everything was OK. You could talk about anything. And he was just that kind of person that could listen and really be the eyes and ears and voice of the organization. You don't recognize how you don't get that as hard as we try to be connected with our team and listen and, you know, be connected with everybody. You're just going to get as the owner, you're going to get a, you're going to get a distilled version of the truth. I guess kind of like a parent, right? You're not, you don't always necessarily get the truth from your kids. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I, I think that's another big part of HR that's been overlooked over the years. When, when I was at IBM, that's where I cut my teeth as a programmer. Um, what, you know, I, I saw HR off in the distance and I always thought to myself, like, Wow, is that all? Is that what they do? Like, aren't they supposed to be my ombudsman? Can't I go to them for advice and help? And I never felt that way about the HR team because their focus was so much on just driving results and, you know, the benefits administration, saving money, compensation. But um, I think that's another big focus of HR is being that, you know, they've got to get the business results, but being an ombudsman for the employees. Oh, it sounds like that's what you had with the Swiss flag. <laughs> So that's great. I love both of those things that you did that so early and that you had that focus on it. So, so what would be some advice that you would give to um, kind of a newer entrepreneur who's growing their business? I mean, you just mentioned one piece, which is hire HR before you think you need it. What would be some other things that, you know, just reflecting back on when you were 29 and you first bought, bought this business, what, what are the things you wish you'd done differently earlier? Well, I think um, um, emotional intelligence, like learning um, what emotional intelligence is. I mean, I, they hadn't invented that when I started becoming a new leader, but to be in sync with and, and, and understand kind of how you're wired, right? So to understand how you think and how you act and then and to, to recognize that, you know, that's a, emotional intelligence is a learnable skill so that you can learn it, you can study it. And, and to understand the makeup of your key people so that, that you can do that in a collaborative, collective way so you understand each other's makeup. I think that has really helped me a lot. And I wish I could have, I wish I had learned a long, a long time ago. And I wish I was still better at it at home. I'm still way better at emotional intelligence at work than I am at home. I, I can't, I can't I seem to crack the code on that Especially me too with my nine-year-old. Like he triggers me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why am I arguing with a nine-year-old? <laughs> the, the other thing is that, um, and we kind of alluded to it, is that to listen to the feedback from your team and really be willing and committed to act on it. Um, for example, you, you, this would have been in uh, 2013 or so. I think we did the Great Places to Work. It's an organ. I'm yeah. oh, yeah. So we did that 
And uh, wow, the feedback was hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was. But we looked at it and we said, okay. And then we started doing some stuff and then the, did it again. And the feedback was, you know, we, it was, well, it was better. It wasn't as bad. Um, and then the third time we did it, we actually got an award, which was cool. But the point was the first feedback, the, one of the, the stuff that was the hardest to look at and read was the most valuable, right? So to be open and willing to get feedback and create an environment, in this case, it was, you know, it was, it was uh, anonymous so that it was, the people were pretty candid, but then be committed to doing something with it. I think that's the problem that people get survey data and they don't, they don't do anything with it. So and if you're not going to do anything with it, then why don't ask because people are going to recognize that you don't do anything with it. And even if it's hard to hear, hard to read, it's, it's, I would say that would be something that be open to that right from the beginning and, and get as much candid feedback from your people as you can. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. And I will echo it. It's brutal advice, right? It's brutal and it's really helpful because, um, I mean, we just went through that at my business. And I mean, this is the business I'm in is doing, getting this, getting feedback to people, right? And I mean, when I opened up the raw data, I was like, I mean, I had a sleepless night. And I mean, none of it was even about leadership, which was, you know, the thing, the only thing I really have control over, but it was still really hard and helpful for where I want to take my business in the next couple of years too. things we have to do. And so that's another thing I really recommend to our listeners is bring this into your strategic plan, like how you've done this. You can't just talk about it. You've got to actually show what you're doing quarter by quarter to change and be better as a culture. Is that how you've kind of broken down this 10-year plan? Are you looking at it that granularly? We really kind of looked at it in um, kind of groups of a couple years. So when we look, when we started this 10-year plan, we had a one, two, three-year plan, and then a, then a couple, the next couple years, and the next couple years. So now the rhythm is to review this annually, and we're, we look at each of the functions, and we have each one of them, they, they kind of look out in a three-year plan, and then we try to align these things, and then every year we say, all right, what do we have to do next year? At the end, you know, we start in October-ish, September, October, and then come up with an operating plan for the next year. So that that kind of North Star of the 10-year plan, we're always looking at that, but then going, okay, what's happening now? And what do we, what did we do? And what's the, you know, the unique things in the world that are going on that we have to address and try to pick a couple. Uh, the problem we had in the past is we try to do everything, right? We try to you know, solve world hunger. It's like, let's let's figure out a couple of things that we can get really better at next year and focus on our operating plan on that. And then and then kind of that, that cadence of reviewing kind of the North Star, where we're going, but then uh, make sure that we're making incremental, incremental progress towards that. Mm-hmm. But be part of being strategic. And this is something that took us a while. Maybe this would be a little piece of advice. Part of being strategic is deciding what not to do, right? So we we look at these things and said, okay, there's 10 of them. We, we, we can only do four. Let's kind of making these numbers up. But then sometimes the hardest work is saying, what are we not going to do next year? Because that's being strategic because that means we're, this is more important than that. We can't just try to do all of them a little bit. Let's get committed to doing a couple of things and being really good at it. So mm-hmm. we, didn't, we didn't do that great. I think initially, and we're better at that now. Probably we still could get better at it, but really trying to be better at listening or deciding what, what, what you want to focus on. Mm. Well, I think on that note, Jim, that's a great place to probably end here, but my goodness, what sound and sage advice that you're able to give all of us and, and congratulations also on enormous, enormous impact that you are making on people every day. Oh gosh, Kendra, this is fun. We could do this all day. 
I know. <laughs> I get to actually. Yay! Yeah, like I need your job. This is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. So I want to just put a quick, quick plug in and that what Jim just mentioned about emotional intelligence, that's part of the management training program we offer. So if that's something you're curious about, let us, let me know. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that too, because I agree with Jim. EQ is one of those things you can definitely learn and it makes you a much, much better person and manager and hopefully parent. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll, we'll see you soon. <laughs>